Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. We're beginning with a new sermon series today called A Mile in the Shoes of... And what we will be doing is we'll look at different people from the Bible, walk a mile in their shoes, and see what we can learn from them. How does God work with His people? How does He deal with them? What, what commands do he, does He give them? How does He pour His grace out upon them? How do they respond and what is the result? What can we learn from them? I think we all know the saying, you know, you can't judge someone unless you've walked a mile in their shoes. And we want to judge these people. No, I'm just kidding. We just want to see what we can learn from the guys in Scripture. So walk a mile in their shoes and see what we can learn from them. Today we're kicking off with Adam and Eve. Let's see what we can learn from Adam and Eve. Part number one called the perfect mile. But before I dive in, let me just quickly pray for us. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here today, Lord. Thank you, Father, as children of God, Lord. We never have to... You know, figure out, Lord, what, what is it that you desire from us, Lord? How do you expect us to live, to relate to you, Father? The questions of who we are, why we are here. We don't need to go and sit and figure that out, Lord, and contemplate the meaning of life, Father. You have made it known through your word. As we read, Lord, also in this story of Genesis, Lord, that God is not the one hiding, Father. And many times it seems to us, Lord, so difficult. You know, where is God and all of this, Lord? But what we see, Father, is a loving God always reaching out. It's man that is hiding and God that is calling. Tonight, Lord, I pray that all of us will hear your voice, Lord, as you call. And that we would come, Lord, to you, knowing that you are a good father, Lord. Willing to forgive, Lord, give grace, give purpose and meaning to life. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you come and reveal spiritual wisdom to us tonight, Lord. And I pray, Father, that we would walk out here with a greater revelation of who you are, a greater desire to know you, Lord, to walk with you, so that we can become, Lord, again, like you've created us to be, Lord, like Jesus, the likeness of God. And thank you, Lord, that through your grace and through your sacrifice, Jesus, it's possible. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're kicking off with part number one, the perfect mile. You know, unfortunately for us as humans, there was only one perfect mile. Genesis 1 and 2. And from that time, no human being except Jesus, being both human, being both God, walked perfect miles. But for us, no perfect mile has been walked ever since. And it sounds like a bit of bad news, but luckily there's good news. Because we know that the last mile will again be like the first when God comes back to come and fetch his people. And we are in the city of God and death and sickness is no more. And everything will be restored as it should be. But as we consider these first two miles of Genesis, there's a lot that we learn from it, especially in the age of discontentment that we live in. You know, people throughout the ages seem to say that man seems to become more and more discontent. But we as Christians, as we read scripture and see what scripture says about man, we know that we don't become more discontent. We just realize all the more our discontentment. Now, like in the ages before this one, people might have said, no, we know we understand that there's a bit of discontentment, but wait, we, we're going into space soon. 
the first spaceship and maybe we'll find something there that will give meaning to life, that will give purpose, that will answer these questions about who we are, what are we doing here? What is our purpose? And the spaceship goes up and it comes back and still, man is discontent. The answer still exists. Why are we here? Who are we? Who made us? What gives purpose to life? And it's not that we become more discontent. We just realize all the more with the more things we create, the more things we have, that it simply does not fill the discontentment. We just realize all the more with the things around us that we are discontent. And as we look at this first mile that was walked, this perfect mile with no discontentment, no sin in the world, no shame, everything as it should be. And we ask the question, but what is it? Is it because they were in the garden? Maybe we long for paradise. If the place that we are in, maybe that is the thing. Maybe we long for a better place. But as we'll read and we'll discover soon that that is not the case. It's not the place. Maybe it's the original purpose God gave to Adam and Eve. And we realize that it's also not that. Maybe it's the partner God gave. Maybe that is where the keys of fulfillment is found. Maybe that is where my identity lies. Now throughout the ages, man has wrestled with these questions. What gives purpose to life? What brings fulfillment? Why the discontentment? You know, on the two spheres of it, the one, how do we walk towards wholeness? Where do we find contentment? And on the other hand, why are we so discontent? Why the brokenness? Why the sorrow? And God reveals all of this to us in his word, those two aspects of life. I know the modern day, the 20th century, a lot of the studies of philosophy and thinking about why we are here have shifted to anthropology, you know, the study of man. What is man? And one thing that we discover is the more people examine man and starting with man, whenever we try to figure out who we are, when we start with us, we just become more confused. No answer is found. And scripture tells us because that is not where we are supposed to start. We're not supposed to start by looking at us. There's no journey of self-discovery. It's not a biblical term. It's not a biblical principle. You cannot simply go and discover yourself. I'm going to go away for a couple of months and do a couple of things and see what I like. To see who I am. And many times we try and find our identity by looking at how much we are, you know, unique to the rest of creation. How much do I differ from the rest of creation? Maybe that is where my identity lies. And I don't think I have to convince any one of us that the world is a bit confused when it comes to identity. A bit confused when it comes to purpose. A bit confused when it asks the question, but what are we doing here? What are we supposed to do? Who are we? Who made us? What's meaning? What's purpose? You know, there was a guy in the early 1900s, Desmond Morris. He was a zoologist and a sociobiologist, you know, looking at the primates and we being one of them, if you look at it in the secular world. And he said, you know, what is interesting about his studies about man and how we act and, you know, likening us to the different primates out there, with more than 89 of them, we are the only one that is naked. And that we feel the need to produce clothing to cover ourselves. And it seems to him that man has a problem with his conscience. There's something that he wants to cover up. But he can't figure out why. We know that. We know why. We know why we tried to do that. But his book was called The Naked Ape, if you want to go and read that. Quite interesting. 
why this naked ape tries to cover himself. And then there was Blaise Pascal, how we need more men like him. Mathematician, physician, but also theologian. And he says man is the supreme paradox of all creation. Because we are the greatest being God created, the most intelligent. We can create stuff made in the likeness of God, but also on the other hand, the most miserable of all of God's creation. And he says the source of our misery is that we are the only part of creation that contemplates a better life. We are the only ones that think, but something needs to be better. Constantly thinking, but where is better? How is better? The source of our miseries. And why do we feel that way? Because there is something better. There was something better. And we read in Ecclesiastics 3 verse 11 that God put eternity into the heart of man. We know if we are honest with ourselves that there's something beyond this life. A perfect life awaiting us and we long for that and we contemplate this perfect life. There's something better, which is the source of our misery. And as we look at this first couple of passages of Genesis, we want to ask that question. But where is our identity found? How does something better look? How do we give meaning to life? What is it and where do we find purpose? So let's look at this first passage of Genesis. And as we read through it, I want us to note what is it that God addressed? Of whom does he address when he creates certain things of creation? And also the, the order of things as we read through it. But let's read together. We're going to read from Genesis 1 verse 20 to Genesis 2 verse 25. And we read the following. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. God addressing the water. And let birds fly above the, and across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the field and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God said everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. 
And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And this is interesting for us to note here. We'll look at it more at the end briefly and then next time quickly. But isn't it strange that the first thing that God sets apart as holy is not a place or a thing. You know, when we look at our own religion or the religions of the world, it's many times what we see is that certain places or certain things are set apart as holy. But the first thing that God sets apart as holy is not a thing, it's not a place, but it's time. Certain amount of time a day that God sets apart as holy. And we'll come back to that later briefly. Because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field had yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And there we get the first indication of a job description given gardener in the Bible. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's the Hebrew word ruach, same word for spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the man became a living creature or a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. I don't know if you guys notice the order of events there. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden toward, to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flows around the whole land of Ivala, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Bedelium and onyx stones are there. And I wonder if you've ever wondered, why is it that people all across the world dig up something from the ground and everybody's like, yes, this has value. This makes sense. Simply because God decided it. That is why every strange man that digs up gold will be like, oh, this is valuable. And we'll buy it. Because God said, it's valuable. Isn't that interesting? It is the one that flows around the whole land of Cush, the Gion. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. There is the first instance that something else happens in creation. Up until this point, everything is good. And all of a sudden, a contrast comes in. The first time we know that God says something is not good. And this is not because God made a mistake when creating things. He said in Genesis 1 that he created male and female. And the question that we should ask ourselves is, why did God only create Adam first and then Eve? There's a lesson coming up. You know, God is saying, pay attention. I want to teach you something, especially the men here. Are you ready for it? What God wants to show us through this lesson that is about to show Adam. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit. But Adam doesn't know this yet. So God says, okay, how will I show this to the man? And God does the following. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field 
and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Isn't that interesting? Unfortunately, Eve was not there that day. Just thinking God standing there, angel with a notepad, and they just, okay, come on, kijk, what gaat hier gebeur? And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. On the first task given to Adam, Adam looks at God, God looks at Adam, the angel stands there with his notepad and everyone nods in agreement. This guy needs help. Are you with me? When Adam discovered that he could not find a helper, the man realized he needs help. So just to say that for us as men, before sin entered the world, sinless man knew that he needed help. Okay, can I get an amen from, from some wife here? Amen. We need a lot of help. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up the place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and will fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The not so naked apes. Well, they were naked, but they were not ashamed. So we look at that first book. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And as we read through this passage, we see four things that God gives to man. The first is his presence. God gives his presence to man. God gives a place to man. God gives a purpose or a task to man and also a partner to accomplish that task with. And the question that we should ask ourselves, let's see, let's say the three things remain there and we remove the first one just for a moment. And let's put ourselves in the eyes of, you know, someone that believes in the Big Bang Theory or there's even people that say they don't believe in the Big Bang Theory, but they're not religious people. They don't believe in God that created earth either. So let's just say somewhere, sometimes someone was somewhere for their sake. If you can believe that, you have faith. Just a bit misdirected. And for the Big Bang theories, let's say for the moment, let's grant it, there was nothing, suddenly became something, spun fast, exploded, and everything started to just evolve. And hopefully, hopefully, for one of these two, the following happened. Hopefully, some or another time in the evolutionary process, there was a female ape and a male ape, and both of them became man at the same time. Hopefully. Because if they didn't, that is weird. You with me? Someone met me. Hopefully, the female and the male ape followed the evolutionary process the same time. Hopefully. And there they are. But for a moment, God is removed from the equation. And we ask ourselves, but what would give meaning to the miles that they walk? What would give meaning? No matter where they walk to, what they do while they are walking, how much people they create to walk with them, what would give meaning to it? What would be the purpose of it if God is removed from the equation? A lot of great philosophers, at least honest ones, Secular ones that said, if we say that God does not exist with that, we have to conclude 
that nothing has meaning. We have to conclude that nothing has purpose. We simply hear and then we are not. No mile that we will walk will ever be a meaningful mile. This simply will not have purpose. But with God back into equation, we ask the picture as they are standing there. What is it that gives meaning? What is it that gives purpose? Where do they derive thy, thy, their identity from? As we look at this passage. And one thing that we many times think is, no, must be in the garden. Life was found in the garden. Must have been paradise. But that is not the case. Neither is it found in the partner. Neither in the task that God gave man. How many times when... We try to figure out our own identity and stuff. We start with ourselves. It's not found in self-discovery. We will get all the more confused when we look at ourselves trying to discover our identity. Let's see as we read through this creation account. Where do we derive our identity from? Where do we derive our purpose from and what gives purpose to it? We read in Genesis 1 verse 11 to 12. And again, note there what God addresses when he creates certain things. It says the following, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. He's speaking to the earth. He's addressing the soil. And he says, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed according to its kind, and the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation. God is still the creator. He's still the one that envisions everything. But as he addresses the earth, the earth brings forth the things that grow in them. And we know that it is in the soil where the tree finds its life. It's in the soil where it derives its purpose. Where it fulfills its function. But when we remove it from the soil, it starts to die. We remove it from its life source. It starts to lack purpose, lacks fulfillment. And we see the same in Genesis 1 verse 20 to 21. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And we read that the waters began to swarm. God is creating, but he's addressing the thing in which it will find its life, in which it will find its purpose, its identity, its rooted in the thing that God addresses. And he says, let the birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens, because there it finds its purpose, finds its identity. I made this joke this morning, I don't know who of you have caged birds at home, and I'm just making a joke. We are called to care for creation as well. I'm just making a joke. It's not, it's not bad to cage them. I just made a joke because someone was actually sitting here this morning and I know he has a lot of expensive birds. He didn't like the joke. And he, he went afterwards so quickly I couldn't tell him I made a joke. So I have to phone him later. Just tell him. But that is just a joke. So I've learned from my mistakes this morning. But God addresses the thing in which it finds its life. And also now take the fish out of the water, it dies. It has no purpose, it has no fulfillment, it has no identity. In it is where it's supposed to live. And from it, it gets its life. Now look at what happens when man is created. And all of a sudden the tone changed up until this point we just simply read, and God said, and God said, and God said. And all of a sudden we read, then God said, finally. Finally, the climax of creation. Here it comes and look who God addresses. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion of the fish of the sea and of the birds of the heaven and of the livestock of all the earth and of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. What a beautiful picture. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit turns to one another and said, let us make man in our image. God turning to himself, the first hint of the Trinity we find in the Bible. And some people will say, now he addressed the angels. Now he addressed heavenly hosts. He doesn't say that then God created them in the image of God and angels. He doesn't say he then created them in the image of God and heavenly beings. No, in the image of God, he created them. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit turning to one another, saying, let us make man in our image. And from God, man gets life, finds purpose, finds fulfillment and arrives at his identity. It's not self-discovery. Without discovering and knowing God, we will never know who we are because we were made in the image of God. We were made in the likeness of God. Yes, sin entered and it was a bit distorted, but not lost. And Jesus came to bring renewal once again. But if we do not know God, we will not know who we are. If we do not know God, we will have no purpose and meaning and contentment in life because in his image, we were created. That is why scripture says in Jeremiah 9:24, but him who boasts must boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me, that I am a God that practices righteousness, justice, and love in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That he understands and that he knows me. The greater our revelation of God, the better we will know ourselves. The better we will give meaning to all of life. And if certain areas of life, and we're going to go through them now, lack purpose, lack fulfillment, lack contentment and ideas. If we have another thing or other place or another person, then, then the problem lies not in that, but in our revelation of God when it comes to that area of life. Because in God, we find our purpose find our meaning the english says it so well the first four words of the bible in the beginning god and in anything that we do or try to figure out if we don't start there we'll end up confused we'll end up lost if we don't start with in the beginning god in the beginning god look at what adam sees when he opens his eyes for the first time i don't know if you've thought about it this way before genesis 2 verse 7 and 8 then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. The first time Adam opens his eyes, he's staring at God. He's beholding God. He's seeing God, the one who made him. And at that moment, Adam knows who he is. He understands what he was created for. He understands what will give purpose to all of life. This one that I am beholding, surely for his glory I was created. And everything I do, I will do as unto the Lord. I will bring glory unto his name. I will work for him. I will give everything to him. Adam knows who he is and all of a the sudden there's peace, there's fulfillment, there's contentment. He does not know yet that he needs Eve. God needs to show him that. But there's fulfillment in the life of Adam. And I don't know if you've noted the sequence of events. Where did God create Adam? Not in the garden. For the garden was not yet created. 
Look at what it says. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden after he created the man. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Lest Adam might think maybe the contentment that I experience and the fulfillment that I have is because of the place that I am in. And God shows him, no, it's not because of paradise. It's because of my presence. It's not because of where you are. And what gives meaning and purpose to the garden is the fact that God took him there. This one that I beheld that first time I opened my eyes. That I know for him I will live. And for his glory I was created. When he took me to the garden, all of a sudden the garden had purpose. The garden had meaning. Because God took me there. And how many times do we see in our life today that people live with this idea that if only I had a better place, I would have contentment. If only I could go to a different place, it will give meaning, it will give purpose. We have to move out of South Africa. This one's going down the drain, guys. No meaning, no purpose left. We have to go. And God says, no. Don't let that life fool you. There we will find contentment. And so many people today live with this mentality that I know that I'm discontent. I know that I have no fulfillment and I have no peace. But one day, when I go on pension then, when we sit next to the seashore, when we sit in the bushfield then, and God says, let go of that idea. Because it's not where you are. It's my presence with you that gives meaning to where you are we read in acts 17 verse 26 not in the book you can go and read that but that he god made from one man every nation on the earth and he allotted the times and the boundary lines of their dwelling places god determines who lives where and then it says in verse 27 so that they might seek him and feel their way towards him because he's not far off for in him we move and live and have our being. So that we might seek him because it's not where we are, but in the presence of who we are. And where we are only derives purpose and meaning if we understand that God placed us there. Do not fall for the lie that a better place will give you contentment because it won't. Neither is what you do going to give you identity, purpose and meaning. We read in Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man, he took him, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never heard someone say, yes, I know what's lacking in my life. I just need to become a gardener. Please, can I come work in your garden? Then, then my life will be fulfilled. No one? No one ever heard that? Jan Lowe, he literally, I, I arrived at my home last week and here's Jan Lowe running around in the garden. No jokes. No one knows he's there. No jokes. He's planting plants because it's going to come rain soon and he wanted to come say hello, but he doesn't know how much time he has left. He just comes and works in the garden. Really. This is not a joke, guys. Just send him a location and a picture of your garden and he'll be so frustrated by it. He will come and help. But no one sees this job as, you know, satisfying or something to be looked up to or an honorable job, a gardener. And scripture teaches us it's not what you do, but who gave you the job. 
that you are doing. God placed him there. We read in verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man. What gives meaning to the task that Adam is about to perform is the fact that God brought it to him. That is what gives it purpose. The one that he saw when he opens his eyes and saw, to the glory of God, I will do everything. To the glory of God. And when he brings them, I will name them. I'm going to say this, but I'm going to do it. It's unto the glory of God. But we will need help. Unto the glory of God. We might say, yeah, but remember, Adam was made to rule over all creation, to have dominion over it. But not as we think of ruling, not as we think of dominion, to work it and keep it. By serving creation, you rule over it. By serving it, you have dominion over it. We read this from scripture, our idea of ruling and reigning is not God's idea of ruling and reigning. But unless you serve, you will not rule. Unless you serve, you will not have dominion. Jesus says, for the son of man, the king of kings, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. Therefore God exalted him. If you're not serving, you will not rule. If you're not serving, you will not have dominion over. He could not even eat the animals. Jacques said this morning, Lord, but if he couldn't eat it, why are they made of dry flesh? But he could not even eat the animals. They to serve. They to serve creation. And in that way, rule over. Jesus says to his disciples, the Gentiles lord it over people. It will not be so among you. But if you're unwilling to serve, you will not rule. For he who wants to be greatest must become least and servant of all. And God says he served the earth. And here we read again, it's not in the better job, it's not in the better calling where purpose or meaning is found, but in who gave you what you are doing now. That is God. Don't fall for the lie that if I have that better job or if I finally can walk in the calling that God gave me then, then I will have that fulfillment, then I will have that purpose. It is not found in that. If we can just for a moment imagine how our lives would change. This is redeemed Christians going out into the world and making a difference. If we can just imagine for a little while you're with me. Just imagine for a moment that God comes to you, he takes you by the hand. He comes to you, Piet, and he walks you into Secunda and he says, this is where I've placed you to live for my glory. This is where I want you to be. God himself bringing you here because he has a lot at the boundaries and the places of dwelling of all people. He's sovereign and he's in control. Imagine my God walking you into Sukkot and saying, this is where I have placed you to give glory unto my name. And as you sit at work, God walks in with you and said, this is the work that I've given you to do as unto me for my glory. Because that is what gives it purpose. And we know this, we know this, you know, like in a, in a knowledge type of capacity, but is the revelation there that God has given you the job that you have now? Because if you know that God gave you the job that you have now and you do not do it well, what does that say? You have no revelation of who God is. 
the Lord of the universe, the King of Kings. We have to understand it that God gave us the works that we should do. And in that area, if you are lacking, pray that God comes and redeems and comes and reveals how he has created us to be so that we can work as unto him. Imagine this, sitting at work and everything that comes across your desk is God himself bringing it to you. As he brought the animals to Adam. And can you see how intrinsically interwoven God is in all of creation, how he works with us. The seventh day, he didn't sit passively and rest it. He's a part of it. And what he does for Adam physically, he does for us invisibly because of sin. One day it will not be so. But God is busy working in our lives. And also is it not found in your husband or your wife primarily? A good wife makes a difference. Scripture says it's better to live in the desert or in the corner of your roof than to live with a quarrelsome wife. Now you know I have that little couch at the corner of our roof. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just making a joke. Don't tell my wife, please. That's actually for my mother-in-law. She, always, she also lives with us. That's why I'm just making a joke. Neither is it found in your husband or your wife reading Genesis 21 and uh, 2 verse 21 and 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. If God did not bring her, it would not have meaning, would not have purpose. Because Adam knows that the one for whom I am living and supposed to bring glory to, he has brought. He has brought the man. He has brought the wife to me. You know, can we envision it that way? That God has brought. That's why it says in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his mother and his father and be joined to his wife. Because God said that it would be so. He's the one that gives it to us. He's the one that instills that purpose. That's why it will happen. And again, can you see how involved God is in all of this? First, he knows Adam before he knows Eve. Very important. If you want to find an Adam, he must know God first, ladies. If you want to find an Eve, men, she must know God first. Because God formed Eve and knew her first. The first thing she saw when she opened her eyes was also God. As he formed her and breathed the breath of life. The first thing she saw was also God. And she realized for him I will live. and For his glory I was created. She also realized that. So God forms them both. Knows them both. Then he brings Eve to Adam. Like a father walking a daughter into church. Then he kisses her. Gives her to Adam. Introduces her. But he doesn't go and sit down. Then he takes the role of the pastor to you know, do the first wedding ceremony. I now pronounce your husband and wife so involved in our lives, bringing to us everything we need. But the meaning and the purpose is not derived in what we have, but in who brought what we have, who placed where we are, who gave us the task to do that we are called to do. That takes us to point number one of three for tonight. I'm just kidding. This is the only point. A mile in the shoes of Adam and Eve, walking with God, gives meaning to all of life. Walking with God gives meaning to all of life. And the truth of it is seen in the fact that man, even though he has everything except the one thing, and that is the presence of God, is discontent. There's people that has everything. Sorry they're in the cheap seats for the wind, guys. 
But God is the one that we long after. People that, are, that live in the most beautiful places on earth have the most exquisite jobs of all. Wives, husbands, yet discontent. Because the one that gives meaning to those things is absent. It is God that gives meaning. And as I was busy preparing this sermon, I thought to myself, how many meaningless miles must have been walked upon this earth? Meaningless. No point. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 that we must take careful how we build upon the foundation that is Jesus. With gold or precious stones or with wood, hay and straw because fire will be revealed one day when God comes back and it will be burnt up. And some people's work will be meaningless. The miles they've walked, meaningless. When I ask us, how many meaningless miles have we walked? Let's not waste our lives. Let's press in to know God. That we might give purpose to all of life and see to whose glory we are supposed to live. So that we can know ourselves and understand the tasks that has been given us. To know God. For that gives meaning to every area of life. I want to leave us with the last scripture, Matthew eleven twenty-seven to 30. And it says the following. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him, to know God, to know ourselves, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." I don't know if you've ever read it in that context before. But no one knows the Father except the one to whom the Son reveals him. Come to me. Jesus says there's a work only I can do. But I'm inviting you to that work. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. If you are tired of walking meaningless miles, searching for purpose and meaning, stop. Come to me so that I might reveal to you the Father so that you can see in whose likeness you were made. So that you can find purpose in life. St. Augustine said, we were made for God and our hearts will remain restless until they find rest in Him. It is the resting in the presence of God that gives purpose to the busyness of life. I don't know if you've realized what Adam's first task was. He was created on the sixth day. What do you do on the seventh? You rest. And Adam's like, okay, Lord, I'm here. What should I do? God says, no, come rest. And Adam's like, I haven't even done something yet, Lord. It's like, no, I know. Grab a chair, grab a coffee. Let's, re let's, let's rest. Because the rhythm we see that God created us for was not to work until we're tired and then rest, but to rest in the presence of God. And from that place we work. From that place everything finds meaning. And sin came to distort that, but again Jesus came to restore the rhythms of rest. And we'll look at that next time. But out of the presence of God, resting in Him, we find meaning and we find purpose for the busyness of life. So I'm just going to end off for us in prayer. Yes, Lord, thank you that we can be here, Lord. Thank you that you are good, Lord. Thank you that you reveal to us your beauty, Father, your generosity, Lord, through Scripture, Father. And I come and pray, Lord, that we would not be caught in the trap, Father, that the world is painting us, Lord, saying that we should find our identity in how much we differ from the rest of of creation while you say identity is not rooted father in how we differ from creation but how much we are alike to the creator that is where our identity lies 
not our uniqueness and how we differ, but our similarities to the one who created us, made in the image of God. And thank you, Lord, that you come and give purpose to all of life. Father, I pray, Lord, for your redemptive purpose to have an effect in our lives, Lord, that we might understand that where we are and what we do is given by you and that we might do it as unto the Lord, Father. Scripture says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. That we might go and show a broken world, Father, how restoration looks like in every aspect of life as you come and take hold of broken people and redeem them for your purpose. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and set the example. How fitting that when God wanted to reveal himself to us, he came as a man because we were made in your likeness. And we can see again, Lord, what you've called us to become. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that makes that possible. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you empower us to walk meaningful miles. In Jesus' name, amen.